Jeff Dean Show on ESPN Tucson is brought to you by Desert Diamond Casinos. Desert Diamond is true Tucson. Tucson's only local morning sports talk show. The Jeff Dean Show starts now. Welcome back to the Jeff Dean Show here, hour number two on today's edition of the Jeff Dean Show on this Monday, June the 20th, 2022. It is 8.03 on your Tucson Monday morning. Hopefully you guys had a good weekend. Happy Father's Day to all the dads out there. Got to uh, got to see my dad on Saturday, see him for uh, for a little bit of time there, and he's he's, he's retired. Like, he's always he's always been, like, crazy busy. He's, he's a retired firefighter. Uh, up here in Phoenix, and uh, was a firefighter for forty-seven years, I think it was. He's a firefighter, anyway. Long, long time. <laughs> but he's always been busy with like other things. Like he has, he has another company that he started a company twenty-seven years ago, uh, where he was training dogs to go search in you know like in disaster areas. Like they got deployed to New York City after the uh, after the World Trade Center bombing and all that kind of stuff. Like, and he's been all over the world for catastrophes and disasters, earthquakes, tornadoes, mudslides, all you name it. They, they've deployed dogs for, uh, for searching for, for victims and such. Oh, you know, all so he's, been, he's always been busy. And during COVID, he got his pilot's license and has been flying a lot and bought a plane and all this other kind of stuff. And so, like, now, like, we never see him. Like, we never see him. He's, like, he's always off flying or he's he's at the airport. And he's building a hangar and like oh god, take it easy, old man. So went and saw him over the weekend. He's doing all right, doing good. He was like you could tell he was like he had just gotten home from doing something and he was like itching to like go do something else, like oh, god. like looking for something to do. Like, Would you just sit down? <laughs> so sit down. Let me talk to you for a minute. How are you? What's your name? So uh, happy Father's Day to all the dads out there. Uh, if you're uh, if you're listening on the AM side at 1490, I appreciate you. If you're listening on the FM side at 104.9, I appreciate you. Or if you're listening via the live stream, which can be found on ESPNTucson.com or via your Alexa-enabled devices, I appreciate you tuning in here to the Jeff Dean Show. As uh, we uh, as I try to stay healthy enough to bring you a show as often as I can, uh, it's just one of the it's one of those things like the voice gets taken away from you, and y- there's like one one job on earth that you can't do without your voice and that's radio host even if i were doing fm like i said i was like even if i were an fm and i just had to jump in for you know 10 seconds like hey what's up, what's up, what's up, here's the next hit from so and so and then you move on like that's that's all you have to do like you you're done for the next 22 minutes <laughs> you don't have to say anything again however here i talk for 22 minutes straight so very different unfortunately Unfortunately, I wasn't able to, to finish out last week. But here we are, ready for a new week this week. Now, I mentioned, the, you, know, in, in, you know, coming out of the, uh, the 7 o'clock hour, moving into this 8 o'clock hour here, about what the Phoenix Suns are going to do about DeAndre Ayton. Now, I'm gonna take a, it's going to take a little bit of a while for me to circle back around to what I'm getting at here, but bear with me. Imagine being a player in the NBA. Okay? You play the center position. You are ninth in your position in points per game. Okay, you are tenth at your position in rebounds per game. You are fourth at your position in field goal percentage, fourth in your position at field goals made, but ninth in field goals attempted. 
You had 30 double-doubles in 58 games this year, which is a better than a 50% clip, which, by the way, is basically the average for anyone not named Nikola Jokic and Joel Embiid. If you're an NBA center, getting a double-double one every other game is basically the norm. So he's right on average with that because he only played 58 games, had some injuries, and then they, you know, they rested him a lot during the season as well. Also, he, I think his minutes, I remember his minutes being, like he only averaged like 29 minutes a game this year, which was like fourth lowest among starting centers. So he didn't, you know, he, he sat on the sat on the bench a lot. They, you know, they rested him a lot this year too, trying to keep him fresh for the playoffs. Unfortunately, it wasn't a long playoff run for them. He was number two, number two in the NBA this year amongst all centers in plus-minus per 100 possessions, plus 9.8. The only center that had a better had a better plus-minus this season than DeAndre Ayton, and this is starting centers, by the way. Backup centers have played, you know, 11 games that had a plus-minus of 44, don't count. He was only behind Robert Williams, starting center of the Boston Celtics. His plus-minus was 10.1. So DeAndre's was 9.8, okay? DeAndre Ayton had his best season ever in field goal percentage, six, just under 64%, right? Had a great year in, uh, in, you know, in that regard. Points per game weren't as high as they were you know, a couple of seasons ago when he averaged just over 18 a game. Uh, and his rebounds were a little bit down this year as well from that season. I think uh, Maybe last year was his best rebounding year. No, the second year was his best rebounding year, 11 and a half that year. So numbers were a little bit down, but also I feel like there were other things in play. You know, the Phoenix Suns, you, you know, they, you know, in 2019, 2020, they were in a bubble and they weren't very good. They went on the 8-0 run, of course, in the bubble. But after that, you know, it was, they played 30, 38 games that year. After that, they became good, you know, and the numbers are going to go down a little bit. You got Devin Booker, Chris Paul, and you know you got everybody else kind of mixing it in there. You got younger players and other guys coming in, and Jay Crowder and all you know, all this stuff. You know, take you know taking some some points away from you. But imagine having all of those accolades, basically being a a top. Uh, I'm going to say it. He's a top six at his position. I'm not, I'm not going to bust him in the top five yet because there are other things that he needs to work on. I still feel like you know he needs to get his rebounding up. And again, I've defended his rebounding in certain in certain aspects because there are many times where he's not near the basket when the shot goes up. Give him a little bit, you know, a little bit of that. But I've also watched him plenty of times lose a rebounding battle because he just, you know, whether he wasn't athletic enough, which I find very very hard to to swallow, uh, hard to believe, or that he just, you know was out of position, didn't try to to really go, you know, go after the rebound. He he could be a better rebounder. And he knows it, and everybody knows it. Okay, that's why he's not a top five center of the league. We'll put him at top six. But imagine all of that, okay, being all those things, and a team that you led to the NBA Finals two years ago, and was having a stellar postseason until your your backcourt just completely fell to pieces in this year's playoffs. Imagine being the odd one out, the odd man out, the the the, the guy that that this team wants to trade away. Imagine that. Like, having all of those things going for you. Top five in field goal percentage. Top five in field goals made. Top two in plus minus at the position. Top two. He's number two in the, in the, in the NBA in plus minus at, at center position. 
and then still being the the guy who, eh, we're not going to sign you. Go out and get some other deals, or maybe we'll trade you because we don't want to match another deal. I, I, I still, I can't, I can't quite grasp what's happening there. And I had somebody ask me, "Hey, do you think there's something personal going on behind the scenes? Do you think there's a beef with either Monty Williams or with James Jones?" And I look, I said. I don't know if on if DeAndre is capable of having a beef with anybody. He's the nicest, most easygoing, happy-go-lucky guys on earth. So if there is a beef, it's got to be more of a one-sided beef, and then he's most likely being defensive about it. Maybe you know, maybe Monty Williams has questioned his, his you know, his uh, toughness or his you know, uh, you know, his, his drive, his desire, or maybe James Jones has, has, you know, questioned his toughness or his off season workout program or his mid in season workout program, whatever have you. I do know this. I do know this. I know that when he got to the league that the Phoenix Suns wanted him to stop lifting like he was doing here in Tucson under, under Chris rounds. Same thing happened with Lowry, by the way. When he got to Chicago, they told him to stop lifting. Like, don't don't lift anymore. You're you're done lifting. And he got doughy and really, you know, just kind of fell out of shape. It didn't didn't look like the Lowry marketing that that we knew and, and was you know watched here, uh, you know, for Arizona. Same thing happened with, with Dre. Like he got he got to Phoenix, and they're like, we need you to stop lifting, and you know, we need you to do this type of workout program. And he looks, I don't know. I, I, you look at you look at Dre when he was at Arizona, and he, you see that picture of him, where it's the it's the famous picture. He's in the white gradient, uh, you know, uh, jersey, uh, the white gradient one, and he's like flexing, and it looks like it. He looks like the Incredible Hulk, like he literally looks like he's about to rip out of his tank top, and like just muscles everywhere. And you look at DeAndre now, and he's like, you know. He waves his arm and he's got a little there's a little second wave going on there. <laughs> like and I'm not gonna put that all on him because I know I know for a fact that the Phoenix Suns told him to stop lifting, like basically stop working out. Now when I traveled with the Wildcats, when I traveled with the basketball team, when Dre was was on the team, he was always working out. Like he was always lifting. He he always was taking one of the training staff to go work out. He had a, a, a difficult regimen that he went by that he followed uh, that Chris Rounds had laid out for him, and he worked hard. And you could tell. I mean, he was, you know, he was in the gym working out a lot, and they, the, the Phoenix Suns put a stop to that. They're like, nope, don't do that anymore. And it's weird that NBA strength and conditioning guys and health guys, that they want the players to stop lifting. They want them to be – they want them to be lean, but they also want them to be, you know, they kind of want, you know, you want your legs underneath you. You don't want, you don't want these big upper bodies in the NBA is what they, what their philosophy is, I guess. I don't know. I still think it's affected him. I think, I think Dre, once he was told, you know, stop lifting, I think what, what he kind of meant, you know, what he, what he took from that was stop working out. Like, like, you know, I, I'm not, I'm not saying that he did. I just know that 
he doesn't look like the same player that he did three years ago. Doesn't look the same human being. And somebody who's you know twenty two, twenty three years old should be looking better than they were at nineteen. But to me, he doesn't, and that's one of the concerns that I have as well. Like, did he go to a, a an organization who has a, a different philosophy than what? he should be following physically. And again, I'm not putting all this on him. I, I'm trying to figure out, just like everybody else, what's going on, what went wrong, why are the Suns not, you know, not offering him you know, a max deal when everybody else in that draft has gotten paid. It's not because he's been a bust. There's something, there's something else going on, and I can't, quite put, I can't quite put my finger on it. And you can't get anybody at the Phoenix Suns to talk about it. And the people that I've talked to that do talk to people with the Suns, they don't know either. Like they, like they're, I've gotten the th- three people I've talked to that I know, that I trust, that have inside information into that organization. All three of them have given me three different scenarios and stories. <laughs> so I'm not going to go with any of them. I'm just going try to try to filter through them and try to give you all the options for consum- you know, for consumption so that when something finally does occur and people then begin to talk about it, then we can say, okay, that one was confirmed. That was, that was a confirmed aspect of this whole saga that's going on with DeAndre Eaton. So what are the Suns going to do with him? Well, from what I've heard, from what I've gathered, he has gotten three offers, three or three potential offers. You can't be offering players yet. He's gotten three potential offers. There are three suitors, a possible fourth, in play right now. All of them Eastern Conference teams. All of them. The Detroit Pistons, as I mentioned, they got like $90 million to spend this year. They're looking to spend it. They would love to bring in DeAndre Ayton. They'd probably have to trade Jeremy Grant away, which they're fine with. The Toronto Raptors. The Raptors are going to be somewhat retooling their roster this offseason. They've got money to spend. They are interested in DeAndre Ayton. The Atlanta Hawks, aforementioned DeAndre Hunter, uh, who has been mostly a bust since uh, since he was drafted into the NBA in 2019. The and and they're going to lose Clint Capella this offseason. That's fine. He doesn't bring anything offensively to them. That team was struggling to score outside of Trey Young, and possibly the Indiana Pacers, who have interest in a lot of players because they're another team that has a lot of money to spend this year. Do the Pacers? And they're going to be losing. Um, they're going to be losing their center most likely as well. So there's three definite suitors and a fourth possible suitor for DeAndre Ayton. Now, once they are able to start offering him, he will then get those, you know, collect those offers, take them to the Suns, and then the Suns will decide whether they are going to match an offer from one of the teams and then retain his, uh, you know, retain his services for the next three years, or if they're going to sign and trade. And, and look, as I've talked about on this show before and it told you exactly why, sign and trades are rare and difficult in the NBA. They just they don't, they don't occur very often because, like I said, they are it, – it is difficult to sign and trade based on the collective bargaining agreement that was, that was uh, agreed upon several years ago, which gives the players – in a sign-and-trade situation, it gives the players a little bit of flexibility. They don't have a whole lot in this league. They really don't. You think they do, they really don't. It gives players a little bit more flexibility, a little bit more power 
in regards to the sign-and-trade because of stipulations and such in there, and they're rare. So I'm not saying it's impossible. I would say it's the least likely of all of the, of all the scenarios, but certainly not impossible. And especially if the Phoenix Suns are just like, we have to get something for him and we definitely don't want him here, then if that's a, like, that would be the, the ultimate sign that something personally, something personal broke down between the two sides. What was it? Like, who was it? What happened? Because if the Suns basically say, we absolutely do not want you here next year, we are willing to do a sign-and-trade and bring in a couple of players who are a quarter or a third of your, you know, your ability, your performance, your impact on the game, then we'll know for sure that it was something personal, whether it's between James Jones and DeAndre Ayton, or whether it's between Monty Williams and DeAndre Ayton, or maybe a, you know, a, a weird triangle of the three. Who knows? We, I mean, we all saw on the cameras DeAndre get upset with Monty Williams in the final game of the, uh, of the season, of the postseason there. It's not the, the first time that a player has been upset with his coach. If you watch Jimmy Butler throughout his career, he has some kind of a screaming match or a forehead-to-forehead, you know, a forehead fight or a nose-to-nose or whatever or where he's chirping and talking back to his head coach his entire career. Like, it, 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 like there are certain players like that that are just volatile that way. DeAndre's not that guy. So if he got pushed in some way to feel like he needed to retaliate and defend himself against his coach, there's something going on. I don't know what it is. I don't know who the beef is with. And like I said, for DeAndre to have a beef with anybody would be a news to me. But after a certain time, I guess you get sick and tired of hearing the same thing or feeling the same way. Or I was having this conversation like a couple of weeks ago. A Suns fan was like, oh, Jay Crowder, they, you know, they need to make sure they do it you know, at all costs. Keep him. I'm like, you got to be crapping kidding me, man. Like, what are you talking about? You're talking about the Olay defense that he had against Brandon Brandon Ingram's a lead offensive player. Get the hell out of here. <laughs> Stop. Brandon Ingram's good. He's not blow by everyone in the league, elite Michael Jordan, you know, Kobe Bryant. Stop. What are you talking about? So then we started talking about Dre. And I'm like, imagine you're DeAndre Ayton. And there was I, – I, I, can't remember where I saw this, and I tried looking it up, and I can't find anywhere. Somebody had a statistical breakdown of DeAndre Ayton's first quarters in his career, like the, the first, the first three, or the, the most recent three seasons that he spent in the NBA. His impact in the first quarter of games, and it was I'm gonna I'm gonna butcher this statistic, but st- just bear with me. He scored ten or more points in the first quarter. In 57% of his games, okay? Now, a projection for that would mean that you're probably going to, you're, you're probably going to average 24, 26 points a game. If you score 10 points in the first quarter in more than half of the games that you start, right? You're going, you're, you're, you're going to score a ton of points in a game. The average amount of field goal he att- attempts he had in games where he had 10 points or more in the first quarter the average amount that he of field goal attempts he had in the final three quarters of those games was 4.4. So you unleash this monster on the opposing team. 
10 points, unstoppable. He's, uh, you know, 11 points and three rebounds. He's got, you know, two dunks already in the first. And he, 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 he made a three-pointer, whatever. He scored a third of your team's points in the nine minutes he played in that quarter. And then you give him the ball four more times the rest of the game? Listen, I don't have to sit here and quote stats to Suns fans for them to recognize that particular pattern. That is something that's been happening for years with DeAndre Ayton and the Phoenix Suns. Like you, you watch the games and you get frustrated. You're like, wait, he had 10 in the first quarter. He had 13 in the first quarter. Why has he only got 15 going into the fourth? Oh, how many shots has he taken? He's taken two shots since then? And then you start watching, like, throw him the ball, throw him the ball. Nobody's throwing the ball. So it is not I'm, – I'm not, like, awakening anyone here that has watched Phoenix Suns basketball. It's very, very recognizable. When I, when I told this guy, this guy's you know, a huge Suns fan. He watches every game. He rewatches the, the games. I told him, and he was like, not his own. You're, like, You're absolutely right. Like, there are so many times I'm frustrated that they just don't throw him the ball later in games after he after he got that lather worked up and was cooking early on. So, you know, maybe Dre got sick and tired of that too. I would be. I'd be pissed after the second time it happened. Like, hey, <laughs> who, do I, who do I need to slap around here to get a basketball thrown to me? So, I don't know. We'll find out. But the saga continues, and I think it's the most it, – it, it is the most compelling story in the NBA this this offseason. So we'll continue to keep an eye on that and, of course, have any updates if we get any word on what's going on with Dre in the upcoming days, weeks, and hopefully not months. Hopefully he's a member of this team going into this season because they, they, they're not winning a championship without him. There's not, period. All right, we're going to take a timeout. When I return, we'll uh, head home to Tucson. We'll talk about some of the things going on with Arizona football and Arizona basketball next right here on the Jeff Dean Show. The Jeff Dean Show on ESPN Tucson is brought to you by Desert Diamond Casinos. Desert Diamond is true Tucson. Now back to the Jeff Dean Show on 1490 AM, 1049 FM, ESPN Tucson. Welcome back to the Jeff Dean Show here. Talking about some Wildcat news. Arizona basketball, Tommy Lloyd and uh, his staff were spotted at the uh, the Section 7 event the, the last few days in Glendale at State Farm Stadium, a showcase of some of the upcoming players, uh, you know, that are going to be out there for uh, for the consumption of, uh, of college basketball coaches. Jalen Williams was, uh, was one of them, um, you know, essentially, you know, <clears throat> pardon me, <clears throat> not Jalen Williams, Cody, his younger brother, <laughs> Cody Williams uh, is – Currently up here at uh, at Perry, Gilbert Perry High School, who won the uh, state championship this year with Dil- Dylan Anderson, who's in Tucson right now. Um, his brother, Jalen, was the uh, the recruit out of Perry that has played his last three seasons at Santa Clara and is, th- without with far and away, the fastest rising player in this NBA draft. Um, he's going to be – he may be, end up being a lottery pick by the time it's all said and done. Now his younger brother Cody was on showcase uh, at the uh, at the event over the weekend. Of course, drawing some interest from a lot of different coaches based on just how meteoric his brother's rise was, 
at Santa Clara this past season and in this offseason as well with his workouts and things like that. So um, that's one of the interesting things to, to look at for Arizona. Arizona's offered him already, so that's good news. Arizona also has offers into some other big-time recruits, um, and depending on you know how well those pan out. You know, Tommy is a very different recruiter from Sean. You know, Sean was offer everybody. We'll see what kind of commitments we get, and then we'll, we'll you know we'll filter through them. Tommy is like you you know you need to treat a uh, an offer from Arizona with you know with the highest and the utmost respect and speciality. And I'm only going to offer the players that I think fit our program and, you know, players that we really, really want here. And not to mention, he has to keep things a lot of things open for European players as well. So he can't just be throwing out offers to everyone here in the States. So, um, you know, uh, the, the program is in good hands. We'll see what, you know, what this team looks like this year, this upcoming season. Uh, you know, is Zulus going to be healthy both physically and mentally? Will he be ready to go? Uh, Tommy says that the wrist isn't going to be a problem, so that's good news. Will he be ready to go between the years, though? Is he is he going to mature and get past whatever it was that happened to him in the in the uh, in the tournament this year that kept him from from excelling the way that we know that he can? What is Arizona's backcourt going to look like? You know, you got Kerr, you've got Courtney Ramey, the transfer from Texas, and then everybody else is like six 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 seven and and above. <laughs> so. Uh, you know, ball handling, obviously going to be a huge aspect for Arizona, as I'm sure defenses are going to try to extend that defense and play the 94 feet of the court against the Wildcats and make them uh, dribble the ball a lot more than they than they want to, put the ball in the hands of, of guys who are bigger, taller, maybe not as uh, crisp ball handlers as, uh, as the others. So we'll see. Arizona football, on the other hand, holy smokes. I mean, the, the, I, I talked about earlier the job that Jed Fish has been doing in this offseason, not just putting together the team for the 2022 season, which has got everybody excited right now with Arizona football's highest-rated ever recruit in TMAC, but with a lot of other big-time recruits and now a transfer coming in with D.J. Williams from Florida State, who started his career at Auburn. Was I, I remember watching him at Auburn. He was electric. He, he's very exciting. Obviously, if, you, if you're not familiar with D.J. Williams, his uncle is Edgerrin James, one of the greatest running backs of all time, and that's not that's not up for debate. Like he is, he is one of the top 15 running backs ever in in NFL history. There's there's, there's really no debate there. So, bringing in a guy like that to fit in, you know, and it, look, there's been a lot of wonderful additions to the 2022 class, and I know Justin tweeted it out last week, and he was like. Is is Jed Fish going to have his entire 2023 recruiting class finished before the 22 season even begins? Because that's kind of the direction it's going. There are a lot, a lot of early commits. Now, one of them that they're hoping for is a young man by the name of Raymond Polito. Raymond Polito is a fringe five-star. He's a solid four, could develop into a five depending on what happens. Uh, this senior season, he's at St. John's Bosco, obviously one of the top programs in the entire country. Offensive lineman, he is a he's a house. He's a monster. Now, Arizona is listed in his top five. His top five schools <laughs> are UCLA, okay, hometown, got it. Oregon, okay, they all you know they're always always involved. 
Louisville, kind of a wild card, but Louisville is – they have a history of recruiting good players. They really do. Like they, they have recruited well at Louisville for a long time, and they've produced a lot of talent. What was it? Was it five, six years ago? They had they, they sent more guys in one draft to the NFL than like three of the schools in Texas combined. So, yeah, Louisville's been doing it. So UCLA, Oregon, Louisville, Alabama, and Arizona. Those are his final five. <laughs> like, again, like I said earlier, one of these things is not like the other. And I saw his, his tweet, and uh, he said, top five, let's get it. And there's a picture of Puddles the Duck. There's the uh, Joe Bruin. There's a picture of him in an Alabama uniform, crouched down with a pair of sunglasses on. There's the Louisville Cardinals mascot, whatever his name is, Papa John or something. And Wilbur. <laughs> okay. <laughs> what? Wait, wait, wait a second. I, I, I literally had to, like, like, where am I getting this information? Why am I getting this? And I'm like, oh, it's because he has Arizona listed as his top one of his top five, his final five. And you're like, you get stunned for a moment because like Arizona does not get guys like this. And and I'm not saying that they will. This is not is not a, a done deal by any stretch. They have got stiff competition, and you never know when USC is going to come swooping in at the last second and snag somebody out of the, out of your hands too. It happens all the time, right? The midnight the midnight recruiting process. Happens a lot. But just to be in the same breath as this guy, you know, as, or not this guy, same breath as some of those other schools and other recruits are looking at that like, man, that kid from St. John's got Arizona on his list. Maybe I should give Arizona a look. And they are. At an alarming rate. <laughs> and it's <laughs> Arizona's cashing in. So I, it just, you know, it's one of those things that I continue to, to, to speak the praises of Jed Fish, and the, but these are things that we haven't seen, like uh, since the Stoops era, like as far as recruiting goes. Now again, you have to get these guys in here, you have to get them signed, you have to get them on the field, and you have to find a place to put them all. You got to coach them up, you got to win games. This, this is this is ten percent of the process, but that ten percent looking real good right now. All right, we're gonna take a timeout. When we return, we'll talk some NFL and specifically what Bart what Bart Scott had to say over the weekend about who the real quarterback goat this we'll talk about that next right here on the jeff dean show the jeff dean show on espn tucson is brought to you by desert diamond casinos desert diamond is true tucson back to the jeff dean show on 1490 a.m 1049 fm espn tucson so this is a conversation that's been had i know that i mean i'm sure that that y'all have had this conversation plenty of intelligent football fans out there, guys that watch the game, guys and girls that watch the games and are able to come up with, obviously, their own opinions and assessments of the players that are the best in the league. This is a discussion that I've had with numerous buddies, with former players in the league, one of them a player who has registered a sack against each one of these quarterbacks in his career, about who was better during the you know during that you know that run in the early part of the 21st century was it Tom Brady or was it Peyton Manning who was the better quarterback now most people would consider Tom Brady the goat right now 
the, the statistics, the championships all speak volumes. But at least one player has been very vocal about his opinion of who's better. Bart, Bart Scott, who works for ESPN, has been doing some uh, some you know, analysis analysis work for them. Has a uh, a spot on a radio show and does a lot of morning show hits and afternoon shows and things like that. He says that uh, that that Bart Scott you know, he played against both of them. Obviously, he played when he played for the Jets and the Ravens, so played a lot of games against both of them. He said that Manning was the much more difficult quarterback to play against, and he says that every defensive player in the league who faced them both would agree. Quote, I'd much rather go against Tom Brady every day of the week than go against Peyton Manning, and I believe that's how everybody feels. Now, the individual that I spoke to, whom I have known for, for quite some time, and he has played he played for the played for the Cardinals, he played for the Broncos. He has recorded a sack against both of these particular quarterbacks. I asked him several years ago, I'm like, who was better? Brady or Manning? He didn't hesitate. It it it, it he cut me off before I even finished asking the question. He said Peyton Manning was a nightmare. Peyton Manning was the best player that he's ever played against. And it's interesting because I think there are times in, in, in sports, in life, you know, whatever have you, where the person who is receiving all of the accolades, the person who is winning the awards, the person who is elevating their career to unreachable heights is sometimes not the best. They just happen to be in the best situation, the best place, the, you know, the, the right time, the right place, the right time, whatever have you, have the best support staff, uh, you know, things break their way. Now, you talk to coaches in pro sports, you talk to coaches in college sports, winning a championship, there is, a, there is an air of luck. Now, I am one of those people, I don't believe in luck. I believe you make your own luck, unless you have windows falling on your head, in which case I, don't, I didn't do anything to deserve, deserve that, I don't think. But you make your own luck. I'm one of those people like, oh, you're so lucky to have been in radio for this long. I'm like, uh, I, I didn't just have it handed to me. Like, I had to work for it. <laughs> like, I've been working for 24, almost 25 years now at this craft. I, I, it's not like I just got lucky and just stumbled into an office one day and was everybody's looking at me and like, hi, um, I'm looking for the post office. They're like, this isn't the post office. This is a radio station, but we'd like to give you a job. That's not what happens. Okay, you make your own luck. So when when a coach tells me, "Oh, there's an air of luck involved in winning a championship," and I always say, "Coach, you make your own luck," and they agree. However, they will tell you like nothing we did. Like I remember talking to, I remember talking to Ken Wisenhunt once when he was with when he was with the Cardinals and they made their run to the Super Bowl, of course. And he, you know, he basically told me he's like, "We didn't do anything that you know." Uh, we, we you know we didn't injure this quarterback's finger when we were supposed to play the, you know the week before we were supposed to play them we did, you know so we, we ended up playing the backup and were able to secure the division that week because we played against the backup quarterback of this team we didn't do anything but I'm like you still had to play 60 minutes of a game against a team that was a, a above 500 team and granted sure great quarterback was missing but nonetheless you still had to go out there and win that game backup quarterbacks win games all the time in the NFL. 
So there's a, there is an air of luck, I think, in certain aspects, but uh, I still think for the most part that you make your own luck. What I'm getting at here is there's, there's no reason to believe that Tom Brady was just lucky in winning all of those championships. He wasn't lucky when he was with, Go- with, with almost Golden State. I'm looking at articles as Golden State here. He wasn't lucky when, you know, when he was winning New England and winning those championships. What you want to look at is you, you look at kind of like the head-to-head between him and, and Manning. And, you know, who had the better team? Who had the better coach? Who had the, you know, who was able to execute better? Now, I've had this conversation before. You can go look, you can go back and forth. You can have this conversation until you're blue in the face and, and discuss who was the better quarterback. Personally, if you're talking about best player to play the position, like the, the, the way that they played the game, I think that Peyton Manning was the better quarterback. I think he was better than Tom Brady. There are several reasons why. Number one, I feel like pre-snap, you know, Peyton was was almost too good in a certain sense, pre-snap. I think there are some times that people will overthink a situation and talk themselves out of the right decision. Uh, people will, will overcook something for so long that it becomes unworkable. I mean, there, there are plenty of things that will, that will hap, you know, happen in life that, you know, like that that I think maybe partially was, you know, something that, that, you know, that Peyton Manning did. Also, you know, I go back to something that the great Bill Walsh once said when he was talking, that, you know, that he had been asked about the complexity of his offense. Like, why do you make things so difficult for your offense? He goes, I only make things difficult for one guy. That's my quarterback. I make things difficult on him so that he can make things easy for the other 10 guys that are with him. Now, brilliant philosophy, right? And that's the way it should be done. And they proved, I mean, they won multiple Super Bowls. Joe Montana, one of the greatest players of all time. Did Peyton Manning maybe make things more difficult on the other 10 guys than needed to be? Did they give him so much autonomy, so much power, so much control over that offense, and he was so much smarter than everybody else, so much more prepared, that he ended up making things more difficult on the other ten guys in his huddle, possible. It, it, look, it's 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 certainly been discussed. Do I think that that Tom that Tom Brady is the greatest quarterback of all time? Yeah, I mean he's he's certainly he checks all the boxes, right? The one thing that always stands out to me about Peyton Manning, and this this will always this will always stay with me as long as I'm having this conversation, this argument with anybody. If you gave Peyton Manning the ball in a two-minute drill situation at the end of the half, he was going to score. The Colts or the Broncos were going to score, whether it was six or three. They were going to score. If you gave him the ball with anywhere between 30 and thirty seconds and two minutes remaining, remaining in the half, they were going to score, period, end of story. You go back and look at it. Look at his two-minute drives. How many times the Colts scored just before half? <laughs> it was like every freaking week. Every week, coaches would try their darndest to keep the ball out of his hands before going into halftime. Something would happen. He'd get the ball back with like 41 seconds left, one timeout, no problem. They'd get him down there. He wasn't blessed with the greatest arm in the world. Certainly wasn't blessed with the, with the, the fleetest of feet. But he had impeccable footwork. He had a quick release. 
He was smarter than everybody else on the football field. So what Bart Scott is saying about Tom Brady has been corroborated, at least with one person that I respect very, very much, who says that absolutely Peyton Manning was the better player. Let's get your thoughts on that. You can always tweet me at UAZ Voice, at UAZ Voice uh, on Twitter. Tweet me. Let me know what you think. All right, we're going to take a timeout. When I return, I'll put a big, bright, red, shiny bow on today's edition of the Jeff Dean Show. That's next right here on ESPN Tucson. The Jeff Dean Show on ESPN Tucson is brought to you by Desert Diamond Casinos. Desert Diamond is true Tucson. More of the Jeff Dean Show on 1490 AM, 1049 FM, ESPN Tucson. Welcome back. Final segment today's edition of the Jeff Dean Show. Be sure to tune in today from 3 to 6 for Spears and Ali. They'll have, uh, sure, a fantastic show ready for you today after coming off a big weekend. If, you, if you're not subscribed to The Athletic, again, I don't, I don't get paid. I'm not, this is not an endorsement. I don't get paid or anything with them. They don't even know I'm doing this. I just I toot their horn as often as I can because I think they, their writers do phenomenal jobs, and I, I think they do fantastic work. And Nicole Auerbach who does a lot of college football writing for The Athletic, was set, uh, sat down with George Klyavkov, commissioner of the Pac-12, and had a brilliant Q&A with him. And I implore you to, if you have a subscription to The Athletic, be sure to seek it out. It's fantastic. Uh, she just posted the article this morning. Now, one of the things that she talks about is about name, image, and likeness. What are your biggest takeaways a year into NIL? He said, I am 100% in favor of name, image, and likeness, and our student-athletes being able to benefit, blah, 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 blah. I've never said, he says, I'm in favor of NIL, but I do think that it's important that we started enforcing the three rules that everyone's agreed to, which is that it should not be used for inducements, it should not be used for paid-for-play, and that the amount paid should be commensurate for the work that is being done, the quid pro quo, right? He says, if we enforce those three rules, I think it would be a great system. And I think our student-athletes would benefit, and it wouldn't be causing the chaos it is currently causing in recruiting. What we're really talking about, and this is what he says, what we're really talking about is uh, is boosters and collectives of boosters having no contact to student-athletes who are still prospecting. Once a student-athlete is committed to a school, they should be allowed to talk to anyone they want about NIL. The school should even be able to make those introductions for them, which has been being done at Arizona since NIL began. But before a student commits, if you're talking to that student about NIL, then that is an inducement and that is tampering. And he's 100% correct. Like, that is, that is where things have gone completely off the rails with NIL. The numbers that have been discussed have been, have been shocking to me, yes. I never expected to be talking about seven-digit seven, you know, figures for, uh, for, for college athletes you know, you know, over a three-year span of time at a college for, you know, for playing football. Nonetheless, that's where we are, and, I, you know, and I'm okay with that. But if you're offering NIL as an incentive to sign a commitment, it is, that is <laughs> tampering. It's, it goes against all the NCAA bylaws, and it's not being policed at all, which is another big part of the problem. But I'll have more on that tomorrow. This is a brilliant article, once again, on The Athletic by Nicole Auerbach. I'll have some more on it for you tomorrow. Again, stay tuned for Spears and Ali today from 3 to 6. Thanks to Mary back in the studio for all her hard work to keep me on the air. And, of course, thanks to you guys for tuning in. I'll see you guys tomorrow morning, 7 a.m.
for another edition of the Jeff Dean Show right here on 1490 AM, 104.9 FM, ESPN Tucson. Thanks for listening to the Jeff Dean Show, Tucson's only local morning sports talk show. Jeff will be back tomorrow morning at 7 on ESPN Tucson.